Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can find great things like our weekly non-denominational inspirational service called The Sunday Gathering, complete with a medium demonstration, and it's free. You can join one of our classes, you can see what's coming up. And I just started a new page Patreon club. So if you're interested, I have now between my two podcasts, over 550 hours of episodes on the afterlife and Patreon members get them a little early, get them commercial free and some other bonuses as well. But home base, we don't die.com. If you want to check it out today, I'm delighted to share my friend, Mark Ireland, who was one of my very first guests around four hundred episodes ago. It's hard to believe we are definitely a little older, but definitely a lot wiser. And I'm thrilled for you to meet him. Back in 2012, Mark joined Elizabeth Boisson and co-founded the global organization Helping Parents Heal after the passing of his son, Brandon. You can find Helping Parents Heal at helpingparentsheal.org. And I'm proud to say they now have over 25,000 members. So if you're a parent, you are certainly not alone. It's one of the best organizations that I ever recommend, Helping Parents Heal. Mark is the author of two books, The Groundbreaking Soul Shift, Where the Dead Go, and his newest book that just came out, The Persistence of the Soul, Mediums, Spirit Visitations, and afterlife communication. Mark has participated in mediumship studies conducted by the University of Arizona and the University of Virginia, and he currently operates his own certification program to identify high caliber mediums capable of furnishing specific, accurate, and pertinent information. So he's just our kind of guy, isn't he? He is. You can certainly find out much more about him at markirelandauthor.com. Mark, my friend, welcome back to We Don't Die Radio. It's been a long time, but it's good to be back. Great to see you. Great to see you too. Yeah, our last interview was just audio. This is video. And of course, I met you years and years and years ago out at that um, conference out in Scottsdale. And That's right. Yeah. My Raiders. And you even did something nice for me afterward. I remember you had posted on Facebook, you're on on your flight home. You took a picture of my first book, Soul Shift, and said, wow, this book is fantastic or something like that. So that was nice of you to do. Yeah. Well, I read it and it was just a great book. And unfortunately, like most of us, it's hardship that brings us into this whole realm But the difference that we can make, especially sharing our story and being of service, there's nothing like it, nothing like it. Mark, not many people that are watching or listening today may remember nine years ago when I interviewed you the first time. So I definitely want to talk about your new stuff. But if you could just tell us a little bit about you and what got you on the journey and And I know some of those things we covered in the first one. This is much better quality now here, 2023, than it was back then. Um, But yeah, just tell us about you, and then we can cover it all. I figured I'd need to do a recap anyhow, because like you said, a lot of folks never heard that one. And I've got a lot more experiences since then that have taken place. But um, I guess the long and short, let me start when I was a child, because my father 
was a psychic medium that was pretty prominent in his day. So that's an unusual aspect of my life versus a lot of other folks. They don't have that built into their family lineage and live around somebody with those abilities every day. So you don't question it. You know it's real because you're living it day by day. Um, not only the mediumship, but the psychic stuff too, like, you know, that kind of limits your range of things you're able to do as a kid without dad intervening, you know? Um, but I, I did see, you know, from an early age in demonstrations that he did, the mediumship come through with highly specific information that was clearly from someone who had passed, who was close to someone who was receiving the message with great specificity and meaning and they're crying and all this. So I knew early on, Hey, there is more than this. You know, we, we must have a part of us that goes on and, and persists after a physical death. So that was kind of built into my thinking growing up. But even though my dad always said I was very psychic or whatever, I didn't really choose the same path as him. I took a more conventional path, the business world, got married young, got a degree, got married, went in the business world, had a couple of kids. But it was really um, when my 18-year-old son, Brandon, passed unexpectedly while climbing the McDowell Mountains in Scottsdale behind our home, behind our home that really was the catalyst for pulling me back into my dad's field um, because I wanted to do a deeper dive exploration of it. And my dad had passed by that point in time, but uh, it, it was one of the things that gave me strength, you know, early on, a lot of folks have, you know, they have a faith, whether it's a religious faith or whatever, you know, it may require a blind faith, but I felt I didn't have to have rely on blind faith because I had knowledge and experience that validated it. Nonetheless, uh, when your kid passes, it's still the hardest thing you can ever imagine. Um, but it is one of the tools that can help, you know, you go on after that. And it did in my case, for sure. I'll give you a couple of early instances that took place. I think one of the first things I did, I wanted to have like a direct connection with my son, Brandon. And so I went into a darkened room. It was actually a walk-in closet, shut the door and tried to meditate. and. I was fortunate enough to have an image of him scroll across like my forehead was a movie screen or something. And I saw Brandon smiling and like joyful looking. But right after that was a cross with an oval loop at the top. And I'd seen those, but I didn't really know what they were, or what they meant. So I had to Google that. So the analytical side of me kicks in and I'm trying to figure out, is this a symbol for something? And lo and behold, it was an Ankh, which is the oldest cross of human history goes back about 5,000 years attributed to the Egyptians with the lower portion representing physical life and the oval loop representing eternal life. So in code, I got a message that my son was happy, joyful, and he was now living on in the next realm. Um, three days after approximately the passing, my uncle, who lived in Tucson, he was still around and he had similar abilities to my dad. And um, he, he and I connected by cell phone that day. I was in the mortuary again three days after. We didn't know really the cause of death at the time. And uh, the authorities that we'd met on the mountainside were not really sharing uh, any thoughts with us because it would have been speculative on their part. And the autopsy hadn't been done yet. But my uncle said to me, hey, Mark, I tried to connect last night and I got nothing. But this morning your dad came to me and he wanted you to know he was there for Brandon when he crossed over and he was a little bit um, confused at the time, but your dad helped him adjust. 
Brandon relayed that he wanted you to know you were the best parents he ever could have had, which the nice thing you like to hear. But then he gave me the evidence, which was your dad said Brandon's death was caused by a decrease in his blood oxygen levels to the point where it causes heart to fail. Two days later, I talked to the physician who conducted the autopsy, and she tells me, well, Brandon had a severe asthma attack that dropped his blood oxygen levels down and caused cardiac arrest. So my uncle told me the cause of death two days before the autopsy physician. And then after that, just a bunch of synchronistic things happened um, and lined up for me to dive back into the field and meet different mediums and researchers and all kinds of interesting things. Uh, I'll tell you the first one. Um, and then I'll stop for a minute so you, you can ask anything else. But I think it was three weeks after Brandon's passing, I was watching the local news, the NBC affiliate in Phoenix. And I saw this clip about a research study being done at the University of Arizona uh, where mediums were reading for sitters and they were blinded to the sitters. They couldn't see them or directly communicate or get feedback from them. And it was really interesting. Uh, and the featured medium at the time was Alison Dubois before she hit it big with, you know, because of the network show Medium, which was loosely based on her life. And in this uh, clip, she looked very impressive. She was giving them a lot of specific information that then when they debriefed, it was validated as correct. And I thought to myself, well, I'd love to get a reading with her and I'd love to be in that lab. So the very next day, I get a call from a man named Jerry Conser, who had been friends with my father. And he says, uh, Mark, I know what you've been through, and I know someone who might be able to help you. Her name's Allison Dubois, and here's a phone number. So I'm like, okay, dad's pulling strings to try and get me lined up here. And I did eventually have that reading with her, which was very impressive and helpful. Um, and then I was actually in that lab within a year as a test sitter uh, with another medium, Lori Campbell, who's also excellent. So that was kind of the beginning uh, that pushed me back down this path uh, of of exploration back into the field. My dad was in and that I grew up with. And at what point did you jump in and do start helping parents heal? Could we get into that? And then obviously yeah. we'll get into the book. So um, fast forward uh, a few years um, and my first book, Soul Shift, comes out and I start getting a lot of people asking for, you know, information about mediums and different things like that. Who can I go to? And wanting to talk to me because their child had passed and see how I coped and move forward. And then I was doing some workshops. Well, I was doing one workshop and a woman named Suzanne Wilson, who's pretty well known now, had just moved to Arizona from Florida. She came to my workshop and then she took me aside and uh, she gave me some things with validation. She says, I'm actually a medium, but I'm here in a new community. And I came to your workshop because I wanted to meet like-minded people. And then she mentioned that she had just uh, provided a reading through a third party for some other woman whose son had also died on a mountain. Um, it turns out that she was trying to rent a space for her practice, but the landlord or the person who was doing the renting didn't was unsure about mediums or this kind of work and wanted to kind of test her. So um, she, I guess she had a photo or something of, it was Elizabeth Boyson's son and asked her for some information about him. And, and so Suzanne came forth with a, a half a dozen validations that, and then the landlord had to go to Elizabeth and ask her, like, are these things correct? And they were all correct. And they weren't just generalities. They were very specific things. Like, I remember she said, I saw him blowing through a blow horn, you know. Well, he he was a, cheer, a male cheerleader for the University of Arizona football team. And then um, 
I think she got the thing about the mountain. And anyhow, at the end of our conversation, I gave Suzanne a copy of the book with my contact information. I said, well, why don't you give that to the mother? And by that time, she'd met uh, Elizabeth. So um, I think it was only a day or two later, I get a phone call or a text. I can't remember. I think it's probably a phone call from Elizabeth. And she says, I want to meet you and your wife. So we arranged to get together and meet. And she says, well, I've started a new group called Parents United in Loss. And I'm going to have my first ever meeting on you know, such and such date. And I'd like you to be my first speaker. So I'm like, okay, sure. So I go to this thing. She's got 30 or 40 people there. It's pretty good turnout. And it went well for the most part. Um, at the end of it, you know, um, we wrap things up. And then she started doing this every month, having these meetings. Well, fast forward a year or two, year and a half, I was changing jobs. And I spoke to another medium who had become a friend, Tina Powers from Tucson, very gifted medium. And I was just kind of looking for direction. She goes, Mark, I think your real mission in life is to help other parents who've been through what you've been through. So maybe consider an organization you could start, you know, that could do that. And so I thought, well, why reinvent the wheel? You know, Elizabeth's doing this. The only thing that's missing is she only has one group. It's in one location. She doesn't have a newsletter. She doesn't have a website. So I thought, I'll just call her and see if she wants to partner with this kind of expanded idea and maybe a new name. So I gave her a call and I explained this and she goes, yes, I'd love to do that. And I said, well, and how about a different name, like maybe Helping Parents Heal? And she goes, I love that name. She goes, I really didn't like my name, Parents United and Lost. So we we started out and some of the original members that were coming to her meetings became board members. Um, and it just kind of grew organically. And I you know, we blueprinted what she did at her meetings and then, you know, put the website up and started a newsletter and then um, word spread. And then in other cities, these started popping up, you know, new affiliates. And today we have, like you said, over 25,000 members worldwide, over 100 affiliate chapter locations worldwide. We, like I said uh, earlier, too, we had our second conference ever last year and drew 900 people. And we're going to do another one in the fall of 24, and we anticipate a thousand people, which is really the capacity that we have. So that's how the organization started. And we've learned a lot over the years, too, in terms of what really helps people heal, which has been, you know, a, a real good thing. I like it for many, many reasons. Besides having all these affiliates, people can, if you can't find an affiliate, or even if you can, helping parents heal online. <clears throat> Pardon me, helpingparentsheal.org. There's an online group as well. There's a lot going on and there's a helpline. I know you've got 24 seven, somebody will answer the phone. Somebody needs somebody to talk to. And your YouTube channel is phenomenal. And for people who are interested, it's one of the very few uh, grief groups or it's more than grief. It's really uniting parents to know the reality of the afterlife that their kids live on. So not only is there working through grief, but it's with the understanding that there is a much bigger picture, right? And that really makes this different. I know from a lot of places out there, they kind of stay away from the afterlife. Can you just speak on that? Well, that's really why we exist, because no other organization would allow this type of discussion. So we started out, I wrote the mission statement, basically saying, you know, we're non-dogmatic. We're not tied to any specific religion or faith or anything. We welcome everyone uh, uh, from any faith or no faith at all, whatever your background may be. You're all welcome. 
And um, but we do allow the open discussion of afterlife evidence and spiritual experiences. So when we have a group meeting, say, you know, these parents can share what happened in their particular case. And when one shares, it helps another heal too. If they hear something that was really remarkable take place uh, and kind of shift their thinking. And then, like you said, on our website, we have a ton of resources. We have so many videos. We have um, also caring listeners. So if folks need someone to talk to, there's somebody there they can call. And there's a, a big list of them. We have a, all kinds of recommended books. Um, and then all the time, there's Zoom meetings with different guests. And some of them are mediums that'll do readings. Some of them are, are researchers. Like I, I got to be the host once I had uh, Dr. Pim Von Lommel on, who's one of the leading NDE researchers out of the Netherlands. So we have, you know, high quality stuff taking place. And in our conference, uh, like likewise, I mean, we have Gordon Smith coming from Scotland. He's one of the very best mediums in the world. Um, we've got James Van Prague coming. We have um, Anita Morjani. We have, you know, this roster of people that's really impressive and from a wide range of backgrounds too. So um, it's the organization has just become so robust. <laughs> it's amazing. And I, I just touch real quickly on what I call, and I've kind of developed this terminology, but the five pillars of healing. And this is from my observation, not anyone else's. This is just my thought. And I'm not saying it captures everything, but in terms of healing from grief, I've observed that there are five things that that really contribute toward that process. The first being support from family and friends. Not everybody has that, but if they do, that could be a real plus. Sometimes family or friends shy away or they don't want to talk about it. They're uncomfortable, uh, but but just them being there and, and caring helps a lot. Second is support from people who have been through the same thing as you, and we offer that. So if folks have been through this, they're going to meet with other parents that they can relate to. Like at the conference, you know, it was really amazing uh, last year when we had that the hotel employees apparently were very worried about what it was going to be like with 900 bereaved parents in there, you know, like, Oh, it's going to be a real downer. Little did they know it was like the best event they'd ever had there. Uh, the most upbeat, they couldn't believe the energy. And a lot of that came from then, you know, people making new friends and seeing and hearing talks that were highly um, helpful to them. So um, that support from other people who have been through the same thing is huge. The third is service, you know, providing service to someone other than yourself in a way that helps because it kind of comes back to heal you too. Not everyone's going to be ready for that right away, but, you know, at a certain point, you know, if they, whether it's working in a soup kitchen or, you know, some of the parents start foundations for, uh, on, in the honor of their children, maybe in some cases, uh, tied to the cause of death of their child, whether it's a particular type of cancer or whatever, or, I know someone who started a foundation for organ donation. Um, so, or just opening an affiliate chapter for helping parents heal. The next one, and this one's a little tougher because it's hard, it's a hard ask, but it is to stop um, the what if questions and blaming yourself or this feeling of guilt that a lot of folks have. Like, I could have done this. I should have done that. I could have stopped it because it really serves no purpose. And in most cases, you couldn't do anything. You just, you know, you're kind of blaming yourself. And the flip side of that, which I put in the same category, is harboring anger and um, non-forgiveness towards someone else that you blame for that cause of death. 
because it really is just holding you back and hurting you. And when you, if you can release that, it's, it is a, a, a relief to most people. It's a tough ask, but that is one of the steps. And then the fifth one, which is what makes us really unique, is the hope element. And the hope comes from being able to understand or at least contemplate the possibility that consciousness and personality survive death. And early on, people might, you know, before even having a personal experience, they might read books about near-death experiences and and validated mediumship uh, research and, and things to do with mediums and other uh, evidence for life after death that can help them over the hump. And then, you know, if they're ready at some point, maybe they learn how to have their own connection through a meditative process or an EMDR kind of thing or and or have a mediumship reading with a qualified medium. Excellent words. And I know helping parents heal to join your you're at looking for parents. However, those who are not parents who are still grieving, I tell you, there's so much good stuff on your YouTube channel that's open for anybody to enjoy. So helpingparentsheal.org is the first step. And then from there, you can see the different chapters. You can uh, see the online things, get directed to the YouTube channel and so much more. Mark, thank you for all of that. Because yeah, I know well, that continues to go and grow and serve. Well, I'm chairman of the board, but I have to give the most credit to Elizabeth Boyson, Boyson and uh, Irene Vuvalidis. They run the day-to-day operation. They work very hard. It's all volunteer, totally nonprofit. No one's paid a dime. Um, so the fundraising that happens all goes back into serving parents. Um, and, you know, it's these conferences aren't cheap to put on either. So uh, that's our main thing that we do, but we only do it every other year because it's just so much work. But I could see us getting to a point where we maybe have to employ some folks at some point, but uh, we, we're still all volunteer right now. Uh, but credit to those two for really doing the lion's share of the work. Yeah, and I've kept in touch with them and they share so many good things and I share. So we just keep it, keep the love growing. We just keep yeah. letting it snowball. Where would you like to go now? We've got the new book. We also have your medium certification things. Let's do a little dance. What do you? <laughs> well, here's, here's the cover of the new book. I really like what they came up with. I think it's pretty. <laughs> it's great. The persistence of the soul mediums, spirit visitations and afterlife communication. All right. So Let's the, have it. the first book was more of a memoir and it journaled my experiences after my son Brandon's passing and it included um, some personal experience. One, one I have to share because it's probably the most dramatic mm-hmm. other than the meeting with four mediums, which were excellent. But six months after, let me go back. Two weeks after Brandon's passing, I met with the first intuitive I'd met with at all. And one of the things she said that was remarkable was she said, you're going to see Brandon in six months. You're going to see him at the side of your bed. So let's forward, go forward six months. Well, my wife is at the foot of our bed. So she's really close. It's not me, but it's my wife. And she's sitting at the foot of our bed and she feels a presence there. And she sees a shadow figure out of her peripheral vision. She knows it's Brandon. The very next day, though, we get a call from a friend. Now, we'd been gone for a week on a cruise and we'd loan Brandon's bass guitar to another friend, a musician. His name is James Linton. Now, James had been hiking on the mountain the same day Brandon had been, and he got there and tried to help, but he was too late. But we ended up meeting him through an online obituary where he put his contact information. So we became friends with him. 
And now we had loaned Brandon's bass guitar to James before we had left for the cruise. So Susie has this experience the day we get back from the cruise. The very next day, James calls her and says, uh, Susie, I've got something to tell you, but I don't know how to tell you. She's thinking he dropped the bass guitar and broke it. No, he's, he says, well, I was working on this song, recording this song, and I felt another presence in the studio with me. And I saw a shadow figure out of my peripheral vision. And I saw fat flashes of white light. And he says, I thought I was hallucinating. So I got something to eat. I drank water. I took a shower. But each time I came back, it got stronger and stronger. And then finally, I just acknowledged it and said, okay, Brandon, what do you want? And he said at that point, he was guided to redo this song, redo the lyrics on the bass line. It's called The Other Side. And when he said, it's the best song I've ever written, but I didn't write it. So anyhow, whether you whether people accept that part of it or not, I mean, it's pretty remarkable that they had an identical experience back to back and he had no idea about hers. So um, now the uh, the rest of Soul Shift really goes through the, you know, the reading with Alison Dubois, Linda Williamson from England, Jamie Clark. And, and then it wraps up with the uh, Discovery Channel feature um, uh, that was at the University of Arizona sitting with Lori Campbell. So all those were great. The new book is is really kind of more of a scholarly book, but it has a unique structure to it because I'm still sharing personal experiences that are highly evidential, but then I'm supporting them with the science that's been done to back up what I'm saying. Uh, because there has been a lot of science conducted, you know, going back to the Society of Psychical Research and all the way through Winbridge, who's doing research today. Um, and, you know, I get into some different kinds of topics in the book, too. Um, one of which I actually tackle the religion aspect because some people are freaked out because of their religious upbringing. They want to know, is this stuff okay to, to do? Is this okay to talk about or look at? So I address that head on. Um, I talk about self-described skeptics who are actually just debunkers and they have a worldview of materialism and they're not really open-minded, which skeptics are supposed to be, to look at the evidence, but they don't, you know, they're, so I, I talk about that whole issue there. I have another chapter um, that pertains to an experiment I did with my sister before her passing, where she put a secret code into a sealed envelope. And then we sought uh, responses from mediums before opening the envelope. So there's a lot of various stuff that's pretty interesting in there. So, and it's, some people just want the personal stories. That's fine. You can kind of skip the science, and others want more of the science, and they might be more focused on that. So it's a, it's like I said, a unique book from that perspective and angle. And um, you know, the medium certification program that I have really grew out of all of this exposure that I've had with the books and helping parents heal because I've had a lot of folks come to me for references for quality mediums. And uh, early on, you know, I knew half a dozen that were good, but most of them are like celebrity mediums and they had long wait lists and or charged more than some people could afford. So I got to thinking, you know, there have got to be more people with these abilities out there, but they're just not well-known folks. And so putting this together, kind of modeling my process after what I learned with the University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies did with theirs with Dr. Emily Williams Kelly. She had a process for grading um, medium readings. So I kind of replicated that to some degree. And then Trisha Robertson, who's a friend of mine, she's with the Scottish Society of Psychical Research. She kind of helped me refine that. 
And so that's how we did it today. It's nine years later. I've had, I have about 40 people on there who have been certified. And today to be certified, and I've upped the standards over the years a couple of times, but what they have to do is perform five blinded readings via Zoom with no video on for someone they don't know. Um, they're allowed a first name and that's that's it. And um, what happens is they basically provide a reading to the sitter and then um, the sitter can at a certain point ask, like, I'd like to connect with first name only. Um, what can you share? And the whole re the readings recorded and then transcribed and then it's broken into individual statements that can either be graded as correct, incorrect, or indeterminable. Indeterminable might be a future prediction or a piece of information the sitter doesn't know or can't figure out how to find out the answer to. Um, and then they can assign bonus points as well. But that's kind of a subjective thing. But say, for example, if the um, the medium says, I, I have your son here, and I, I think the first name name starts with A, and let's just say the kid's name was Aaron. Okay, maybe that's a two-point bonus. That's pretty good. But if the medium says, I have your son here, and I think the name's Aaron, then that might be a five-point bonus. Likewise, uh, the medium might say, I think, you know, Aaron's favorite food was pizza. And if it was, okay, maybe a two-point bonus. But if the medium says, I think his favorite food was pizza with um, bell pepper, pepperoni, and mushrooms and sausage, that would be, you know, a five-point bonus. So basically, they have to score 75 total, at least at a minimum to pass. And of that, 65% accuracy is required or better. The indeterminable statements are pushed to the side because we can't really say if they're correct or incorrect. However, if someone has an inordinate percentage of responses that are indeterminable, then there's a limit. We'll only allow one third of the statements to be indeterminable. If they exceed that, then the rest of them are considered uh, in incorrect. Um, a, a good reading shouldn't have that many indeterminable statements. So that's basically the process. And through that course of that, um, we've upped the standards. And you know, right now, a lot of people apply and don't pass. <laughs> so that was our goal. You know, the people that do pass, we want them to be good enough that people can go to them with confidence. And it's never 100% that you're going to get a good reading. Uh, mediums are people, they have off days, and sometimes the connection's just not great. You know, I think it ebbs and flows. My dad always said it ebbs and flows like, like the tides. So, um, but it does increase the chances for a good reading. And most everyone on that site, if, if the reading's not good, they're going to give you a refund. Now, I have nothing to do with the money of that. All I've done is put the program together, conduct the testing, and then feature the people who passed. It's completely between them and the sitter to arrange readings and to pay. I have I don't make anything off of this. In fact, it's cost me thousands of dollars to put the website together and maintain it, and then just a lot of personal time uh, to do all the work. Um, and I have an assistant too, who's a volunteer, uh, Kathy, and uh, so she she does this out of the kindness of her heart because she sees the value in it. So I covered kind of a wider range of stuff there. But if, if there's any piece of that you'd like to talk about more, just let me know. Yeah, uh, two things. One, I'm, I just applaud you for the medium part. I know it's a real passion of mine to kind of raise the bar on mediums. And I just spoke with Bob Ginsburg not too long ago. And he also does medium certifications. And he's like, it's 10 to 15% of the people, maybe, that pass. And he said because he was in that Netflix special, 
he says all the mediums that were certified, they raised their prices to three, $400 an hour. That's out of the ballpark for most people. So he's bringing in more people to certify to make it more reasonable. And I love that you say your mediums would give a refund policy because I know I've got a lot of British friends who are mediums and legally they have to give a 10 minute guarantee. In the first 10 minutes, if you're not happy, let's talk about it. Cause sometimes the energy is just not right. And the medium could feel that as well. The it stops, get your money back or reschedule because things happen. And I think having that level of integrity, certainly mediums are welcome to, you know, and should they should get paid, um, but there should be like price range that works for everybody because it is the one place I think that most pe- people can do something to hear from their loved ones. But uh, I always say this, and my listeners have heard me say it a hundred times. My mom says this, you know, what do you call the guy or gal that, graduates bottom from medical school. Well, they're still called a doctor. Yeah. A lot of people think because somebody's got medium, oh, they must be good. Uh-uh. No, you want to just like maybe a poor example, going to a restaurant or going to a doctor or a hairdresser or somebody, you want to talk to somebody that's recommended, recommended by an organization, people who have been comforted. Um, yeah, especially if, if you're paying your good money, you know, do your research. So first of all, thank you for for doing that and continuing to do that. Yeah, we're, we're full all the time. We only have capacity to test two at a time. And then we have a wait list, both for sitters and for mediums. Um, and we've struggled having good sitters, to be honest with you, because I think some people come in just wanting a free reading, you know, and that's not really what this is about. And again, like Bob Ginsburg says, if only 15% are passing. And it's probably something like that with mine. I haven't really studied it, but um you know, the odds are if somebody's coming in for a free reading, they're not going to get a good one. You know, they if they're lucky, they will. So um, it's it, it's better, I think, for some people that want that, for them to just go pay for a reading, you know, with somebody who's already vetted. And then if you're healed enough later on that you can actually participate in a constructive way and help with the research or, you know, with this uh, process, then come back. But a lot of the folks, they they either don't do the work on a timely basis that we need done on the back end or they don't do it correctly and follow the instructions. So that's tough, but we do, you know, it's an ongoing thing. I'm sure we'll be having more people all the time added to the list. Um, And we do have people who have raised prices, but there's a wide range out of 40, you know, probably on the low end, I think there's somebody in there that only charges 50 or $75 and they're really excellent all the way up to somebody is now up to probably 400 but most of them, I'd say on average, are, you know, uh, 100 to 250 range, you know. Yeah. But there's something for everybody. And they and we identify on the website, too, their um, location. So most of them all do Zoom readings, but some folks want it in person. And a lot of them, they can do that. So they just can look at where the person's located and see if the one near them or ones near them do in-persons. Um, because that can be very healing, too, for folks. I know the skeptics would say, well, then you have a chance of cold reading. Well, I guess theoretically, but I've already vetted these people, you know, where there was no chance of cold reading. So I think you could trust. And I think I think the Zoom reading can be just as good as an in-person, but there's an energetic component to a successful mediumship reading. It's it's um, I've heard it described as three parties involved, the medium, the sitter and the deceased. And if the three work mesh well together and the energy's right, that's when you're going to get those really outstanding kind of sessions. 
Yeah, exactly. And I don't think it's bad for a medium not to pass because mediums like in any other field, people can get egos, right? Think they're great, or it may not even be an ego. They might think, okay, they took a weekend course. Uh, somebody said you can, you know, hang your shingle now. You're a medium, and it's much more than that. So it can say, you know, it can get the medium thinking, what am I missing? What do I need to do? You know, what what else is possible? How can I develop this more? So not a bad thing. So I applaud you with that. The other thing I wanted to go back to was your sister. Now you don't have to give away what happens. But does it have a happy ending? <laughs> That's what I well, want to know. <laughs> well, here's where this idea came from. I knew she was terminally ill. Uh, she had pancreatic cancer that metastasized to her liver. And so for about a year, we knew she was not going to be around too much longer. And I approached her because I thought of this. I thought, would you like to do an experiment that might help other people after you've moved on? And she was open to it. And so what I was looking at was thinking back about the Houdini code, which I don't know if you know about that, but you know some of the people listening right now may not. So Harry Houdini was a famous magician you know, a long time ago. Um, and he tried to debunk a lot of mediums and, and did so, but he also used trickery to make them look bad. And, and he was kind of not being honest, but he also clearly was interested in the possibility of an afterlife because... He shared not only with his wife, but other people, different codes that he that if they heard that from a medium after he died, that they would know he made it. He had a specific one for his wife, Beatrice, and um, he shared that with her. And he says, if this if you hear this, you'll know that Harry Houdini still exists and lives on. So um, Arthur Ford, who was a prominent medium in the 20th century, met with his wife, Beatrice, and gave her the code. It was correct. But then debunkers started coming out of the woodwork and alleging, well, either it's just telepathy or um, alleging, well, you two are in cahoots and you're doing this for media or, oh, this is common knowledge. Everybody knew what it was or multiple people knew. Um, so if you Google this today, it'll say it never happened. It's never been solved. But in fact, it was solved. But considering that, I thought, well, what was wrong with the way he did this? And I thought, well, the problem was that any living person knew what the code was, because then you could always allege, oh, they shared it with somebody else or they spilled it, spilled it you know. Um, so I thought I had my sister write something down on a piece of paper, put it in a sealed envelope. And um, that's how it was conducted. And then we, I consulted at the time a Dr. Don Watson, who was a neuroscientist. He's since passed, but he was helpful and he kind of gave me protocols for how we should do this experiment. And then we reached out to a multitude of mediums and they gave different impressions. So it's really an interesting chapter to read how this goes and a lot of the information that comes through and how it really aligns with my sister very closely. And I'm not going to give it away completely. I would just say I feel that ending's positive. Positive, maybe not perfect, but the, you know, when you read it, you'll understand why I say that. Perfect. I just uh, talked about a book called The Test that uh, a fellow in France had done. And when his dad passed, he put four objects in the in the casket. And then after he went to different mediums. And the story is really interesting uh, because, you know, it does have a happy ending. Mediums were able to tap into it for sure. But there was so much more, so much about the memories of the dad and the dad wanting the son to, you know, live on and explore life. And, you know, the real purpose, I think, and I think you'll agree is when we believe in the afterlife and our loved ones 
have gone on and we're going to see them again, it gives us a whole different kind of life. Often people yeah. can die inside when they're grieving. And yeah. yeah, you know, that's why I do have, I feel bad for people who are, you know, atheists and don't, the type of atheist that doesn't harbor any hope for anything more. They just believe in physicalism and they think that consciousness is brain generated uh, instead of brain directed uh, in this realm. Um, and that, you know, that's it. And that's really a tough road to go down. Um, and those folks tend to have a really hard time. But, you know, I've seen a lot of people who either were religious fundamentalists before or total atheists, you know, ha have a shift in their perspective after the passing of a loved one and open up to considering things they never would have before. And, you know, it's, it, it could be an earth shattering thing that really pushes you in a new direction that makes you consider uh, things you wouldn't have considered before. I think it's important. And I think it's just part of human progression that you start asking yourself those questions as a young person, I was very opinionated, didn't believe in any of it. And there's so mm -hmm. much evidence out there. And, you know, when you say materialism, I have to laugh because you, when you get to the quantum level of things, all we are is vibrating energy. You know, it's yeah. like, what is matter? <laughs> go ahead and figure that out. You know, someone had said, if you put a camera into the little atoms that make us up, all there would record anything because we're just vibrating uh, energy. And then we're living in this ever expanding, expanded universe that it's impossible to get our head around. So once we start looking at some of those bigger pictures, suddenly, uh, yeah, why can't? this communication be and you know you and i are talking now computer to computer not connected to cables and cords and each other yeah this wireless space around us there's a picture there's sound and we're pretty magnificent human beings you know we can tap into our loved ones you know energy can't be we can't disappear you know energy continues to go on so it, it you know i I was one of those people before. So I just say, you know, we never push this stuff on people. They have to be open to it. Yeah. Um, but in their own time, I think it's just a matter of time where people start asking those questions. Well, and you talk about quantum mechanics. I mean, one thing that I always like to point to is the observer effect. And it's been uh, replicated, the dual slit experiment, um, basically demonstrating mind controls matter mind affects matter so how could that be if consciousness was not primary um so that's kind of where i go um i'm not saying that i'm a expert in the field of quantum mechanics i'm not qualified to go there but just looking at that you can if you think about the implications it seems pretty obvious to me the implications of the observer effect um the other thing i was going to touch on real too quickly too is you know going to a meeting can be very helpful um, uh, having uh, dream visits can be very helpful, but I think the thing is it's experience that helps people more than anything. Reading about somebody else's experience is great, but having an experience of your own is, is phenomenal too. And I have one that I was going to share with you that, so this is a direct experience of, of me having the spontaneous kind of medium communication thing. And I don't really aspire to be a practicing medium or anything, um, I don't need to be my dad. I don't need <laughs> to have the scrutiny that all these mediums are facing with uh, a lot of the folks out there. But um, 
for a three-year stint, I was going to San Francisco to speak at a church called the Golden Gate Spiritualist Church. And I was accompanied by my good friend, Tina Powers, a really good medium. And I would do a talk, and then she would give readings to everyone. Well, before going, she's like, hey, Mark, I think you're going to get a message. Will you share it with somebody? You know, will you share it if you get it? And I'm like, well, sure. I don't know if I, what I'll get, but if I do, I will. And she pestered me about this multiple times, even walking into the church that day. She's like, Mark, if you get a message, do you promise to share it? I'm like, yes, Tina, yes. We're about 30 minutes early. I go sit down in the church in a healing room. Um, now, this church was founded by a woman named Florence Becker, I think in 1924. And she passed in like 1970. And she, by all accounts, was a lot like my father in terms of her abilities. Well, um, I go sit, it's 30 minutes before, and I try and kind of get into a meditative state, just a relaxed state. And um, while I'm sitting there, this name pops into my mind. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. It just came in like an idea would come to you. And the first name was Max. But then immediately I got Maxine. I thought, oh, maybe it's Maxine, not Max. And that's all I got. I got nothing but that. And again, it was just like an idea or a memory would be how I could describe how I got that. Um, but it was there nonetheless. So I gave my talk. And then at the end, I said, well, Tina made me promise that if I got anything, I'd share it with the group. Do the names Max or Maxine mean anything to anyone here? And then the pastor Dell was his name. His jaw drops and he says, well, Max and Maxine were twins born to the church founder, Florence Becker. Um, and they were delivered stillborn, but they grew up on the other side. He says, I think we know who is here right now. And then he said, that is a secret that's only known to a few old church board members who have been here a long, long time. And the guy who invited me, he had no idea. He'd never heard of this. And then afterward, he said, I want to show you something. He took me upstairs to a painting that I believe was done by Florence Becker, and it was a landscape. It had this long winding road. And he says, see those two little figures up there at the top? He goes, that's Max and Maxine. So something so subtle to come to me that way, it kind of delivered to me like, well, this is how mediums can get their information. I'm not saying they all get it that way, but that seems to be one way because what are the odds of me not even getting one of those names, but two of them? They aren't that common. Um, so. I just thought I'd share that. Oh, I love it. It gave me goosebumps with that story. I think far too often people, because I, I was one of them and I talked to a lot of people, kind of blow off the thoughts and feelings and those feelings of knowing as it's just our imagination. But I've taken plenty of medium courses and we have to be in the present moment. We have to trust because the spirit world uses our thoughts, uses our memories, uses our feelings, and uses our imagination. So sometimes it breaks my heart because people say, oh, I haven't gotten a sign from my loved one. And meanwhile, I think their loved one is so close. They dream of them. They have these thoughts and these memories of things and it fills them with love, but they just chalk it off that, that that's not it. When I was on coast to coast recently, as you know, a woman called in at the end and she was just sobbing. And she said that she had, her son had passed and she hadn't heard from him or had any signs. And I kind of went there where you, what you're talking about, you know, and I said, you know, it can be something that you're not even aware of. You just need to be aware of more things. And, you know, I said, you know, sometimes people get lights that flash on and off. And when Brandon passed one night, we had <laughs> the middle of the night, the stereo came on blasting the music that he used to listen to. 
and we didn't have a power outage or anything. It just spontaneously came on. Um, and, you know, I told her, my advice to her was, you know, this has worked for me before, before you go to bed at night, make a prayerful request for a visit and also ask to remember it the next day. Because when we're in a sleep state, we're not quite so emotional, you know, we, and we're into a different, uh, realm or I guess you'd say a different level of consciousness to where I think the connection can be maybe a little easier. So I recommended that. And then I gave her, you know, a suggestion just on maybe a how she could maybe get a connection through a meditative process as well. Great advice. Really great advice. Also journaling, talking to your loved one, writing. I mean, there's, I think we all want the bolt of lightning or the double rainbow or something huge when maybe that's not who your loved one was. I, I know my little old grandmother love her to pieces, but she would always sit parties. She'd sit quietly and she just enjoyed sitting back and watching the young people. Right. So mm-hmm. it's no wonder she hasn't come out in big medium demonstrations. It's just, that wasn't her personality, but I know I've been one-on-one with a medium and, or in a class, you know, doing our classes on Zoom, and all of a sudden, there she is, you know, so it's wonderful. They work in different ways. The thing is, don't give up. And yeah, I think when you what you talk about when you're following your passions, and you're discovering and you have your own experiences, uh, that really does make a difference. But I think to hear, like, if you're involved with helping parents heal, you're hearing other stories, you're watching some of the incredible people on their YouTube channel. And then maybe you take a reading with the medium. All that stuff makes a difference. And and Mark, I want to just ask you, your level, level of living, how has it changed maybe since you got involved in being of service? Has it? <laughs> well, first off, I felt like our, my healing and my wife's healing was accelerated much faster than most parents who have been through this. I mean, we were way better, much quicker. So I think that was a factor in that part of it. But my life changed in that I think before this all occurred, I really was just focused on my work and achievement through my job and, you know, getting recognition there and that kind of a thing. And um, I had the spiritual part on the back burner. It was always there. I never disbelieved, but it wasn't like a focal point. So I would just say my life is much richer now. Um, Even like I said at the last conference that we had for Helping Parents Heal, I had at least a half dozen parents come up to me at different times and say, I wanted to thank you. You saved my life. Um, And even like with my first book, I've gotten emails from people that said they were contemplating suicide, but then they read the book and they decided not to do that. So you then know you're doing something that's worthwhile and, and helping. So it's just it's a much deeper kind of life, a more fulfilling life. And I guess, but I'm not disparaging my life before either, because I think those years in business helped me learn to, to think critically, to write and communicate well, and to be also trusted as a rational, reasonable person when sharing this stuff, you know? So I think it was all kind of lined up in my life to, to have those two chapters, I guess, that so they so that I'd be more effective, you know, once I shifted into doing the spiritual stuff. I'm so proud of you. And I'm so glad we caught up. Is there anything else you want to share before we go separate ways? Anything I didn't ask you? 
anything. No, I mean, there's a lot more in the books, but I would just say one thing I often wrap up with is just to remind people and let them know, hey, you're here for a purpose. You have a path. So don't ever give up or or feel like there's not some structure or meaning to life because there is. And um, when you when you discover that and you figure out what it is, your heart will tell you that's the right thing that you're doing and uh, go forward and enjoy your life and live with, you know, enjoy a lot of love in your life. That's pretty much all I was going to say. That's it. And we can go back to your five pillars, which were just great. Thank you for sharing those as well. So Mark's the author of two great books, Soul Shift, Finding Where the Dead Go, and his brand new book, The Persistence of the Soul, Mediums, Spirit Visitations, and Afterlife Communication. And of course, you can check out things all Mark Ireland at markirelandauthor.com. So first, Mark, a big thank you for being our guest today. Sure thing. And I just want to tell people, if they go to my website, there's actually links there to Helping Parents Heal a link to my certified medium site, and also a link to a a website I dedicate to my father. It's got videos of him and doing psychic demonstrations. In particular, the best one is a 1971 demonstration on the Steve Allen show. So all of those links can be found on my website, in addition to links to the books and other media things that I've got there. Um, There's a documentary that was done a while ago that people might enjoy seeing. They could also see the clip of the Discovery Channel episode where I was had uh, the test at the University of Arizona. Oh, that's perfect. You know, you just mentioned that about the Steve Allen show and about your dad. I That image to me of your dad doing the readings with his blindfolds on and he's so taped up. And you had told me, you know, he's really doing that. I mean, that is his real psychic nature. And I know from that time we spoke nine years ago till now, I've seen a great deal of people who are mentalists, right? I've seen them on TV and I've seen some live shows. And although I'm sure part of that is certainly some kind of trickery, I do think it is so possible uh, to do things like reading a serial number on a dollar bill using our our psychic ability. Yeah, I I know a man who um, he actually owned a restaurant um, entertainment facility where he hired my dad and he and two other owners uh, at the beginning didn't believe. So they tried to trick him. They would take a $20 bill, wrap it in foil, put that inside of an envelope and ask for the serial number. And he would get it. He got it all three times. So they, they came to believe. Um, and here's another story that's in the book. I'll leave this as like a final one. Cause it's pretty cool. Okay. So I've been trying to do, I think my, I know my dad was tested in some various uh, labs but this is way back when, like in the 60s, most likely. So it's been hard to find it. But I've I've been in contact with like a Peter Mulas at the in Austria. Um, and I've been in contact with people that used to work at the UCLA uh, parapsychology lab when they had one. And Sally Ryan Feather, whose dad was J.B. Ryan around Duke University. So I, I've gotten a little bit of information, but it's been hard to really get like any science journal or whatever that had anything about my dad's test. But uh, I stumbled upon somebody found this article in a 1972 issue of a Tuscaloosa, Alabama newspaper. And it was talking about a man named Helmut Schmidt, who was the second in command at the time at the Duke Parapsychology Lab. And basically what the article had to do with was his assertion that you know, they were just kind of testing students and and everybody at the at-large um, population. And he said, you know, 
I think we could have done much better if we had professional psychics in here. And then he used my dad as an example. He says, I saw this psychic, Richard Ireland. And so I, I performed my own test on him. And he says, I walked to three different tables in the room and asked them each for a number. The first table gave me three. The second table gave me eight. And the last table gave me five. So he wrote the number 385. He put that in a sealed envelope. And on the outside of it, he wrote, tell me what this says. So he sends it up. By then, my dad's completely taped and blindfolded. And he gets the envelope and without opening it, he says, oh, you want to know what's in here? It's the number 385 in red ink. And so he just, he's, his mind's blown. He goes, you know, the odds against chance of that are incalculable. Um, so that was, you know, his point was really, if we had somebody like that in the lab, we would have just blown the doors off. But I think J.B. Ryan was also afraid because he was always being chastised by skeptics. So I think he would have he was afraid of like them saying, Oh, you've been tricked by this guy or something like that, even though he would have had protocols in place that would have prevented that. Um, but anyhow, I just wanted to wrap up with that story because it was pretty cool. I love it. I do. I love it. I love it. There's more to us than meets the eye, right? So much more. I do believe we are divine souls having a human experience. I say that all the time, but I really do. And I think, yeah, like, Oh, just so much, you know, what we give our attention on to grows, whether it's good or bad, there is things that manifest and things, you know, our consciousness can survive physical death and just so much more. So first, thanks again to Mark. And then for our listener or our viewer, thank you so much for giving us your precious time today. I hope it has been of value. Oh, I do, I do. You can visit Mark's website again at markirelandauthor.com. He's got so much. And remember, helpingparentsheal.org. If not for you, if you ever hear of someone whose child goes to that unseen world, please pass along helpingparentsheal.org. Remember, they have tons of great videos for anybody that can enjoy on our YouTube channel. So as a reminder, please come visit me. Go to wedontdie.com. If you scroll to the very bottom of the page, you can enter your name and your email address. It says you get the first few chapters of my book, We Don't Die. Here's the secret. It's the entire book. I want you to be able to enjoy it. Chapter 10, I think, is the most important. It's about grief the grieving process and things we can do to move through it better, easier. It's never easy, but there are some things that we can do. Uh, we have uh, medium classes. We have a free Sunday gathering that I mentioned. It happens at two o'clock New York time every single Sunday. And you can watch replays. You can join our upcoming one. And I am certain that I will be doing it until the day I am no longer breathing because they are just so cool, so fun, and so empowering. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is very important. You are one of a kind. You are special. You are loved. You've got support of loved ones in this unseen world. And you've got a community of people here, too, that love you. So thank you for listening or for watching. And we'll see you again soon.